Well, hello everyone. Welcome to Darren's uh, Transhumanist Talk. Um, you may have been expecting uh, skeptics and seekers, but we are making it bigger, better, uh, more powerful, more intelligent, making it live longer. And with me, I have uh, Andrew and David. Hello. 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 This is Andrew the Seeker. Oh. And- no. Sorry, that's probably not true, is it? No. Okay, this is Andrew. Uh, I'm not the seeker. Uh, and uh, Darren, thank you. Glad to glad to join for a little bit of discussion about transhumanism. And this is David, and I will be playing the role of the seeker a little bit. Um, uh, I have some genuine make it questions. Fun. Yeah, I. Um, this is a confusing topic, and I have some genuine questions. I think that the seeker has a, a few points. Maybe you guys can um, address some of that. So, uh, again, uh, thank you, Darren, for allowing me to be on the show. Hey, anytime. You're always mo- welcome to my show, since you gave it to me. <laughs> You're always welcome to your own property, David. i gotta, I got to reread the contract again. I, I may not have been completely sober when I wrote that up. <laughs> How did Darren get the keys again? Nicely done, Darren. <laughs> hey, you know, that's what transhumanism is all about, taking what exists and making it better. Oh, so um, that's the gauntlet solidly thrown down, David. I accept the gauntlet. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm very happy for someone to come and take it over and make it better. So... <laughs> Congratulations. But I just have to warn you, Darren, it's uh, it's like the man who had this, he's carrying these uh, huge suitcases, and uh, he has this watch. He comes up to a person, uh, and he says, hey, would you like to buy a watch? And the guy says, uh, well, what about the watch? And he shows him the watch. It's on his wrist. It's beautiful. It's made of solid gold. And he, he does some demonstrations. The watch can, uh, it can make you coffee. Uh, it can it can tell you any answer in the universe. It can turn into a jet plane and fly. It's fantastic. The man says, yes, I'll buy that watch. How much? $500. Great. Here it is. Here's the watch. And the man sets down the suitcases. And the guy says, well, wait a minute. What are these suitcases? He says, those are the batteries. Uh, so what you have done, uh, Darren, is picked up skeptics and seekers I will. I will share with you the batteries <laughs> afterwards. Oh, I didn't say I was going to keep it. <laughs> it's going to make it bigger and better, and hand it back to you. Yeah, I, I'm so not a maintainer. I'm just an ideator, you know. And I, an, an ideator is that like a transhumanist? <laughs> no, it's just a person that comes up with ideas. <laughs> Okay, so somewhere, somewhere in my email archives, I could have sworn there was a list of questions. I could have sworn. <laughs> I can shoot them to you uh, over your email. Uh, it makes scintillating podcasting. So, Darren, while I am shooting Andrew, uh, why don't you go ahead and get us started? Okay, so I guess the first place to start. Is I meant what I what? said. <laughs> what exactly is transhumanism? Um, so, put very succinctly, most people view transhumanism as uh, uh, as directed evolution, basically. Um, if humanism is sort of our goals and ideals for how we want to live our lives, transhumanism is basically how we get there. Is that? Would you agree with that? I, um. 
I, I, I was, okay, so I'm going to agree in a limited way. I, and, and the reason I'll agree in a limited way is I think that, that transhumanism is really a statement of, of a position. So I, I think it's accurate to, to define it exactly as you did. But I don't think that transhumanism is anything other than being human. And the only reason we have to define it that way is because there's a lot of pushback about a sort of platonic ideal from uh, the religious community that says, uh, you know, God made us a particular way, right? And and us trying to improve on it is sort of uh, is, is sort of polluting what God intended. And and so yes, I agree. You're absolutely right about uh, about the definition of transhumanism, and I think we, uh, at least for myself, I don't need the label transhuman. Um, because just as the human that I am, I implement transhuman ideas. And, you know, if we got rid of the Christian pushback and, and maybe even the, you know, the three major, uh, the three major monotheistic religions, if we got rid of all that pushback, I don't think we'd have to define transhumanism. I think we all would be transhumanist and it would just be part of being who we were. Well, there's an awful lot of, um, thought at the moment that we actually are transhumanists. Um, when they first started, uh, for example, when they first started heart surgery, uh, mm. it was called, uh, people would call it Luciferian or undignified mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because it was this, you know, big, this was like what you were saying, this big idea of, you know, working on the body, making it better, fixing the flaws, and people just didn't weren't behind that. I mean, now it's accepted and sort of one of those things that you just do if you, you know, if you need a new heart. But it took a little while for people to actually embrace it. Right. How many people today, uh, when they find out that they've got a partially clogged artery, artery, just say to their doctors, no, thanks. I don't need that angioplasty. You know, keep that balloon. Um, you know, I don't really want to live. Can I, can I right. just ask you? We don't, people don't say that. And, and at the heart, uh, sorry. <laughs> that was an unintended. Uh, it's an unintended play on heart. Can I, can I just ask at, a quick at question? At the core of this issue, I think when people are talking about others' mortality, the 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 sort of luddites in the room that, uh, that revile progress and the uh, the folding in of technology with whatever it means in the you know to accept that end of the human condition, they they are willing to push back on transhumanist ideals for others. But when it means foreshortening their own lives, the vast majority go for angioplasty if they need it or, or, or whatever life-saving technology um, is actually part of a transhumanist ideal. Can I just uh, ask Darren to repeat his definition because I want to make sure that, uh, that I have this right. Hmm. Well, I've got three sort of definitions for it. Um, the Love the short one, by the way. <laughs> okay, I'll stick with the short one then. Well, no, no, no. Oh, I, no, read no. them all. Start, the start with the short one again and then, and then expand on it. Uh. Yeah, so the, um, so the uh, quick uh, definition is just directed evolution. We have been sort of subject to um, selective pressures throughout our, what is it, 3.8 billion years of uh, biological existence on the planet. And so now, mm. instead of allowing nature to take uh, the cor- 
take the helm and um, direct our evolution. We're sort of taking it upon ourselves to um, decide wh- how we want to evolve and what we want ourselves to look like in the future. Okay. I, um, I'm with you there, I think. Uh, but I, I still want to make sure. Um, and the the reason the reason why I ask, and you might have more definitions. I always understood transhumanism as having to do with uh, going beyond uh, the human body. Uh, that that the body had something to do with it, or. Uh, you know, however we define humanity, going beyond or away from that uh, to becoming something else. So, um, is is that any part of the definition? I mean, for something to be trans something, you have to have a good understanding of the something. Well, and that's sort of the tricky part because there's sort of three different ideas that we're playing around with here. There's human, which if you <laughs> you don't. You think it's one of those words that you think you understand until you start trying to figure out in discussions like this what exactly you mean when you're talking about human. I mean, are you talking about the DNA? Are you talking about the intention? Are you talking about a combination of both? Um, because if you're just talking about the DNA, then is your cancer your uh, cancer tumor is that human? It has the same DNA. So if you add in intention, is a dead body still human? Because it doesn't have intention, but it's got the DNA. So, so we sort of have to have this sort of fuzzy idea of what it means to be human. Because I mean, we are human. We sort of we know it on an intuitive level, but we don't really have a good way to explain what we're talking about when we say it. And then you have the transhuman uh, idea, which is um, increasing. Um, you know, the normal, what we consider human aspects, like our intellect, our physicality, um, psychological capabilities. And then you start getting into what they're calling post-human. And that's where you're talking about um, actually um, integrating, um, you know, you don't have any of the human DNA, um, but you still have the intentionality of being human, but your form is not necessarily human-like at all so i mean answering the challenge about the cancer i think one might say well it is human because it's a thing that naturally humans can do it's a part of it's a part of what humans can do or what happens with humans so it may be unpleasant but it is it is decidedly natural uh it's not alien so I think I'm going to offer a, a, a different view. Um, I, I sort of like where you're going with the, with the uh, cancer thought, but I, I think I'm going to turn that bit on its head. I think what we mean when we say human is anything that we accept in our uh, in our sort of self construct in our own mental model of ourselves. I think human is anything that we accept into that circle. And the things that we don't accept into that circle uh, that that impact us like cancer, we think of as not human. So in some sense, I accept both of you as human 
because I accept you into the circle uh, of, of my own mental model of what it means to be human. But when I think of a disease uh, that, that potentially ends my life, I don't think of it as human. I think of it as, as something that is orthogonal to humans, something that, that kills humans, and, and therefore it's outside that circle. So, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I was just curious. How would you classify like artificial intelligence? Assuming we actually achieve general intel- artificial intelligence that has the same wants and desires of a human, but still has a silicon substrate to it, would so you consider that to be human? So, man, okay, we we are we are just jumping the gates too because I I, I swore that this was going to come up about thirty minutes or forty minutes from now, but but okay, so. I think science fiction offers an interesting glimpse into this. It, it, Darren, I know you're an SF fan. I know David is too. Um, so there are two things that, that come to mind. The first is the uh, movie with Robin Williams, uh, The Millennial Man, or The Millennium Man. Uh, anyway, whichever of those two the title actually is, The Millennium Man or The Millennial Man. Uh, so he fights for a long time in the movie. He's, a, he's a, an android or, or uh, you know, that robot that looks like a human being, right? Uh, so he's an android in the movie, and he fights for uh, something like a thousand years to, main, to, to be recognized as a person, to be recognized as human. And while I might not be willing to say that uh, collection of microchips and and potentially uh, quantum processors and you know whatever it takes to achieve consciousness that we don't have at the moment. While I might not be willing to say that that collection of technology is human, like I am, I would be willing to grant to it that it has the right to think of the things that are like itself as personhood. If if you're willing to just sort of uh, uh, grok the difference, if I if I can go with uh, Robert Heinlein's word from uh, Stranger in a Strange Land. So I, I'm willing to accept that something that is not like me, whether it's an alien life form that evolved on a different on a on a distant planet, or whether it's a collection of uh, of of human made technology, I'm willing to grant to it personhood. And that it feels its own possession of itself in the same way that I feel possession of myself and whatever I think of as belonging to me. So I well, also that, didn't expect this at to that come point. Up do we right really now. need to have the label of human? Um, can we just move to person and no leave it at that? No, because we still have uh, things that are biological organisms. I think that I think the. Um, uh, you know the the it's not picking order the um, taxonomical uh, scale still matters. I mean we have dogs that are clearly not humans, uh, but I also believe that they are sentient, uh, and we can we can argue over different levels of sentience. But I think it's important that we uh, note those differences in in various life forms. Uh, and you know your art- artificial intelligence example. I think I can make it even harder by saying, well, what if we take that artificial intelligence and map those patterns onto a human brain? Because we're always thinking about what happens if we take the human brain patterns and map it onto silicon. If we go the other way around, then is that um, 
intelligence human because it's occupying a human body. And what's your answer to that? I have no idea. May that day never come. <laughs> Andrew, what do you think about that? Okay, so I, I had trouble following all of the symbols. So summarize it for me one more time. Uh, what happens if you take artificial intelligence? Um, I, I know that you don't like that term, Andrew, um, but for the sake of easy language, it's what people understand, manufactured intelligence. What if we take that and put it into a human body rather than the other way around? We're always talking about putting the human consciousness onto silicon, but what if we put the silicon consciousness onto a human body? Would that make it human? So if we take an intelligence, uh, I don't think it changes my answer very much. If we take an intelligence, um, artificial though it may be, and stick it inside a human body, do we have, um, do we have a person, whether it's human or not? Do we have a person? And I will simply refer to my previous answer, which is if that intelligence accepts the body as its own, and, and it actually, uh, for shorthand's sake, can pass the Turing test. So lots of, lots of your listeners will know the Turing test. So if it's willing to accept the body as its own, and it otherwise functions and understands the, the me of I, right? It, 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 it has self-possession. Then, yes, it's a person, and I don't care whether you call it human or not. It's, it's how do you accept an alien into your culture, and as humans, we have this, this problem without aliens or without artificial intelligence. Uh, you know, it's easy to view the guy from, from across the ocean as not being as human as you are. Well, I'm willing to go whole hog on this and say, if you, if you understand who you are and you're willing to possess the form that you are, and maybe even if you don't possess the form that you are, it is, it is the mental construct that makes you, uh, makes you a person. So then I just want to double back on Darren's question, which I think is legitimate. I just don't personally want to deal with it. So I would like you two to argue about it. Um, does, does the label humanity even matter? anymore if all we're ever talking about is persons is this a person or not a person uh if we're only talking about levels of sentience um then does humanity even have any meaning i mean if it doesn't then transhumanity doesn't have any meaning either well i i think that's I think that's sort of accurate um, as when we're talking about labels um, because transhumanity is basically just this idea that we're taking the human body and changing it, uh, you know, making various improvements either through technology or um, changing the biology at a fundamental level or something like that. So if human is, if, Humanity is sort of a label that we're putting on something, and it's sort of uh, wishy-washy, um, speculative endeavor. Then, 
transhuman as a label becomes meaningless, but the ideas behind it are still valid because we're still upgrading our DNA to be more than what it's doing right now. Well, suppose, so I'm, I'm afraid I sort of hijack this whole conversation by creating a divide between person and human. So let me swing at that uh, pitch one more time. So suppose we think of suppose we think of human as a type of person rather than thinking of human and person as somehow entirely separate from one another. So so in that sense, if a human is a type of person, then we don't uh, we don't sacrifice what it means to be human by accepting our personhood. And in the same way we can extend to other intelligences, if indeed we ever had, uh, you know, if, if we if we create artificial intelligence or if we find alien life or whatever, speculate however you'd like. If in that case, if we just accept that we're a type of person and we're willing to extend that type to artificial intelligence or, or aliens or whatever, in the same way that we extend personhood to another person, or uh, David, in your case, you you talked about. Uh, your pets. So I know you've got a, a dog named Cisco, right? You you suggested that that maybe Cisco was sentient. Well, at some level, I, I actually agree with that. And, and at some level, you're also sort of extending to Cisco that that he's a, a type of person. And so, if you're willing to accept that kind of definition, then human does have meaning, and so does transhuman. Okay. Of course, so, then you can ask about trans dog too. But right, yeah, I was gonna, so, maybe that's taking the show. <laughs> oh no, 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 no! We're we're going to go there. Um, look, this is a room full of geeks, um, and um, y- you know you've raised you've raised some stuff, and you're going to have to defend it. Um, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm doing my best, uh, admittedly poorly. So you'll you know your your mileage may vary. So on the let, let's just say human pours himself into a dog. Uh, you know, he, he maps his brain on a dog, and so he still has his consciousness. But now he also has, you know, dog features as well. Is he not going to spend eternity sniffing butts? Is just- he human, <laughs> or is he dog? Or at that point, do the labels just not matter anymore? Okay, Darren, do you want first swing, or do you want me to? Uh- oh no, I'm breathless, breathlessly waiting for your response to this because. Uh- because I have some, there is some speculation about where humanity is headed, that where this is actually sort of an important question. It is. Um, so I'll, I'll wait for your uh, response before I comment. Okay. So if we could, oh, uh, okay. So forgive the fine de- uh, division, but I don't think we can get away without uh, some additional relatively fine parsing for the examples. We're talking about pouring we're talking about pouring human intelligence into a dog. Um, Dean Koontz did this in a couple of books. Um, let me see if I can recall the titles as we go. Uh, I may blurt them out here in a minute, but he's he's got a dog named Orson uh, in a couple of books. And Orson through uh, some twist of uh through some twist of plot gains human intelligence so let's just say we could do that with an actual person so somebody's dying 
And the only way to save them is to pour their human intelligence into their dog. <laughs> it seems fantastic, but um, so let's say that's that's the setup. So we pour the person's intelligence into the dog. Are they human? No, but they're they are a person, and they are probably trans dog. Okay, so so it seems to me that your definition of human sort of has something to do with the DNA then. Um, oh, that's interesting. Okay, so you, you might be pressing me further than I thought this out, let's see. Um, I think that when I think of person, my own mental model of, of what it means to be me accepts me with human form. My two arms, my two legs, um, uh, you know, my eyes six feet off the ground, my ears, you know, 12 inches apart or whatever they are, right? I have this internal model of myself. And when I, when I say human, I think what I mean is those beings like me or who were supposed to be like me. So when I was a child, I had a, a friend uh, a little girl, uh, because we were both like 11 at the time. And she was not only a quadriplegic, but she was entirely born without arms and legs. Right. And, and so she was just her head and torso and neck, but her mental model of herself was that she should have had arms and legs. And she perceived a certain amount of disability because the world around her was constructed for humans like her, but with arms and legs, right? And so if I were to think of a dog with human intelligence, I think that form is not close enough to my mental model to be perceived as human. But with human intelligence, um, it would be close enough for me to see it as trans dog. So and this, maybe that didn't help at all, but so, that's... Uh, well, don't don't worry, we'll get there. Um, this is where I wanted to get the conversation, though, and this is where I'm going to put on my Christian hat. <clears throat> it's, it's shaped... That thing hurts, dude. It's shaped don't, like a crown of don't thorns. Do um, don't do it. There's some, but I'm putting it on, I'm clamping it on. Um, oh, no, let me clamp it. If no. You know, it's gotta be, no. <laughs> no. You're not getting anywhere near the hat. Um, I, but I do have to. I do have to ask this question. So, your mental model, your model of what is human, seems to involve the human body in some way. And so, you know, we can do the comical thought experiment here of how much uh, can you remove and still be human. So, you chop off a toe. Obviously, you're still human. You chop off a foot. Well, you're still human. Well, what if you chop off a leg? Still human? Two legs? Still human? Quadriplegic? Still human? How how far can we go? What if we chop it down to just a head? Uh, are you human? What if we then take all of your um, your consciousness, we'll just call it that, and map it onto a piece of silicon and destroy the whole body? Are you still human? Uh and under your definition, you can't still be human. And if you say, well, you are still human, then you have created a separation between the physical and the conscious. And mm. that equals dualism. Nope. Nope. 
So, for, so as you know, I'm missing an eye, um, and and you could indeed uh, take away my arms. You might take away my torso, but my answer includes my mental model of myself, which started with all of those things. That's that's the first issue that you face, is that while you're chopping me up, and by the way, not letting you near any sharp objects the next time we're in close proximity, you're not going to get to carry this experiment out in person. But you, so you might indeed be able to remove enough of me that I regret it, but I would regret it based on my own mental model. However, let's take this and say that you reduce me to a brain in a vat. So, uh, you know, I, I, uh, I'm, I'm now just an unincorporated uh, brain <laughs> in a vat. I might be willing to concede that I am no longer human, but with sufficient mental resilience to survive the transition, I would still conceive of myself as having personhood. And I might have to to somehow jigger my own mental model into whatever I am then. So in that sense, I'm not even transhuman. I'm I'm whatever human isn't, I'm whatever brains in a vat are. But if I'm sufficiently resilient as you're going through this process, I haven't lost my personhood because I still have a, a, a sort of mental model of what I am and how I contribute, even if I don't have that form. So yeah, I'm, I'm not terribly concerned uh, by the by the change. In- I, st- I still think that misses the point of the question, though, and I I just want to I just want to get this addressed so that I can mm. turn this off and, and finish eating. Um, mm. <clears throat> uh, this is how podcasts are done, people. Um, so. Um, the the real question is once you get past the brain of that, it's it's that next step when you get your consciousness onto silicon and completely removed from any human body at all. There's <coughs> excuse me. There's no DNA. There's no body. There's no arms, legs. Uh, there's no torso. There's no head. But it is you. Uh, your synapses mapped onto. Uh, a, a computer uh, chip or a brain or you mm. know, whatever whatever it is, mm. uh, if that is still you, then what you're proposing is that we can separate the I from the physical body. No. It, but go ahead. Sorry. Uh, well, a little too quick on the no, but go yeah, ahead. Yeah, I mean, if you, so you might say, well, but it still requires something physical. Yeah, I, and, can I, I, and I am fine with that, but you're but you're saying it can be it can live outside of the body. Yeah, can I uh, perhaps I can Please. clarify on that because um, it's the language that's actually causing the problem. When we talk about mapping consciousness onto another substrate, we're not actually talking about transferring something. Um, it's more like um, taking a picture on your computer and copying it to your thumb drive. So you're not actually moving a consciousness from one place to another. You're copying the uh, biological substrate that produces the consciousness onto um, another substrate that's mimicking the original biological substrate that produces the same consciousness. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. So, so it's kind of really like growing an arm uh, in a vat from some of your sales so that you can replace an arm. Correct. So what? Um, so what? Um, what might help with your um, example is um, instead of copying the consciousness from one place to another, um, a good exa- a good example for your question, which might help clarify the thinking on it, is replacing the biology with silicon. So uh, replacing the biological neurons with silicon neurons instead. They, the silicon neurons are uh, doing the same things that biological neurons did in the same manner so that um, the consciousness survives the process, but it's still the same configuration, which is what actually produces the consciousness. Okay. Right. And with, with just, that, to, my head just to take that. And I'm going to turn my mic off now and uh, go back to drinking my Coke Zero. So I just had a cherry Coke Zero. They're fantastic uh, to all your listeners. And if you if you haven't had a cherry Coke Zero, go out and get them. And if you're uh, part of Coca Cola Corporation, vanilla Coke Zero. Thank you. Cherry vanilla, even uh, better than cherry Coke Zero. It's not a competition. So Coke is welcome. Coke is welcome to to pay me for this uh, product placement. And and mine's mine's better than yours. (laughs) <laughs> okay, so uh, le- leaving that because uh, <laughs> because there's more important fish to fry here. So uh, the I am I am entirely undismayed. I I think it is is a little bit silly to argue about positions on the periodic table. And when we talk about consciousness and biology versus consciousness and, uh, and, and some sort of construct of electronic technology uh, or, or uh, quantum technology, which may not entirely uh, be about electrons, though electrons will be involved. So when we think about uh, a machine intelligence, however that's constructed through, through whatever... Uh, set of processors and quantum processors, however it's constructed. I don't care whether its elements are uh, silicon and and conflict metals or or whether it comes out of the few organic uh, uh, elements on the periodic table. I, I really doubt in the future that that is going to be the pivotal issue. And so when we talk about consciousness, intelligence, uh, and, and they may not be entirely the same thing, I don't, I don't think that attempting to limit it to a few, uh, to a few elements on the periodic table, the, the organic elements, is actually the salient issue. And, and so I'm entirely undismayed by the idea of machine intelligence because I don't think that it's the organic elements necessarily that are the things from which consciousness has to be constructed. Yeah, I tend to agree. I mean, we've got um, we've got programs like Go that mm-hmm. you know AlphaGo, yeah, AlphaGo yeah. that taught itself how to play Go, beat the um, grand, greatest grandmasters, and then taught them some new tricks that. Right they had no clue about so creativity and intelligence definitely um are 
I think they probably are required for consciousness, but I don't think mm-hmm. they are identical to. Right. That's that's sort of my feeling on it, too. And the listeners ought to go out and look up the videos on AlphaGo, because if, if you want to see how I think intelligence is probably constructed, and Darren, I'm guessing you too, based on based on you uh, bringing to mind AlphaGo, if you want to see how we do things and, and what a very small bit of transhumanism might look like in the future, right? The, the ability to get machines to do things with us that we can't entirely do on our own. Go look at AlphaGo because uh, I guess it was in the, the third game of, of that three-game match that you're thinking, or at least I think you're thinking of. Mm-hmm. AlphaGo made a, a move that the greatest Go thinkers in the world and all the developers of AlphaGo thought was a bug in the code. And it was actually that that unanticipated move, that, that leap of logic that AlphaGo made in, in that third game that that turned that that really turned the whole match on its head and the whole idea of what it meant to understand machine intelligence because in the end AlphaGo did something before any before the best developers thought of it before the best go masters thought of it AlphaGo did something completely intuitive to AlphaGo yep. that was entirely unintuitive to everyone else yeah it it actually uh, that third game it actually saw the problem figured out a solution for the problem all on its own, and it didn't wasn't uh, hampered by normal human perception of how things right. should should go, because it had its own, for lack of a better word, uh, experience of how mm-hmm. it should play the game, and all it needed to do is uh, make sure it had one more point than the other person, and that so that's how it started playing. Whereas normal human players, they they before that uh, move, they hadn't even really thought like that when playing Go. Right, and and now, um, so AlphaGo did some violence to the Go community, right? And and Go's a great game, by the way. If if you've never played it, here's another recommendation in a podcast that's likely to be uh, full of them. Go is a fantastic game. Go look up the rules. Um, maybe play online. It's a lot of fun. But so AlphaGo has done some some damage to the psyche of the Go community because some people now think, well, why play Go when the best player in the world is a computer that in all likelihood I can't beat, right? And and the answer for me is I may not be the best Go player in the universe, but that doesn't stop me from wanting to be the best Go player I can be in the symbolic sense, right? So I'm not I'm not actually a a, a a regular Go player, but even if a machine can do something better than I can, uh, it doesn't it doesn't mean that we're not going to have human Olympics, even if we have Android <laughs> Olympics, right? Even if we so you know maybe machines have uh, sophisticated uh, machine intelligence Olympic games that they play or whatever, but that doesn't that doesn't in, in any way stop me from wanting to be the best I can be. And, uh, sorry, go ahead. 
Yeah, no, I was just going to say that's and it's an interesting thought process because um, that thought process has led Elon Musk and some of the others to create uh, their own uh, machine brain interfaces, mm-hmm. um, specifically so um, we can keep up with um, artificial intelligence. Because uh, Go AlphaGo, that's just the beginning. We've already got AI that can diagnose illnesses better, can read uh, um, you know MRIs and um, X-rays better than we can. Um, I've even saw a um, thing that MIT did um, or Google did um, last year, the year before, where they're actually getting uh, deep learning to actually program itself. You know, and um, and when all of this comes into fruition, there's not going to be a single job that humans can do better than uh, the artificial intelligence. It's just not going to happen. So, in order to keep up, they're uh, they're actually creating brain mind interfaces specifically so that we can keep up, so that we don't become antiquated. And. I will just say that you know the the sort of the sort of sci-fi trope that people will will be familiar with is uh, you know the neural implant, right? So I'll just go ahead and say, sign me up, right? <laughs> so, um, I, I don't mind being part of the of the beta community, uh, and, and I realize that you know somebody's going to put adware in my head or, or whatever, right? Can I jump uh, in and ask you a quick question? Um, why would why do we need to keep up? I mean, uh, I I know that this is not a, a thought that's often discussed in sci-fi, um, but let's say we we get the computers to that level and the computers can do every job better than us. Isn't isn't that the goal? Why should why should we do the job? Why should I spend time, you know, uh, researching a, a a beat and you know writing articles if a computer can do it? Better. Why should anyone try to become doctors when the computer can do it better? Why should anyone, in I'm really thinking about the fat middle uh, of of humans, go to some jury uh, job for a paycheck day in and day out that they hate, that's tearing down their bodies uh, and weighing on their minds? Why would we want to keep up? Why wouldn't we want uh, artificial intelligences to do all of those jobs so that we humans can then be freed up? to do something else. Right, but the problem is is that that's something else the computers are going to be better at us than as well. But it, it doesn't so, I mean, it doesn't matter if the computers are better. We can always find the some the thing that we want to do that so I'm thinking maybe about the uh, the Star Trek kind of future where everyone just does what they want to do as opposed to what they have to do. Uh, and of course they can have machines that that do things better, but if you like to cook there will be other humans that will want to eat real food uh, made by other humans. Why not? You know, I, I, I'm just thinking thinking out loud. Is it absolutely necessary that we keep up? I think so. Um, not because of any economic reason or anything like that, but I think just for our psychological health. Um, no one likes to be the second-class citizen. And... We have egos. Um, we have a competitive streak. Um, so I think just to stave off boredom, if nothing else, we're going to want to uh, do things that make us feel 
um, like we're actually contribu- contributing. Okay, but let, me, if, let me just offer a counter, just, just a quick counter. We already have things that are better than us. So, for instance, anyone who drives, a, a, who handles, a, a, you know, some of the, I don't know what you call them, bulldozer-like things with various arms and cranks and things that, cranes and things that are very, machinery. yeah, th- those things are stronger than us and smarter than us and more accurate than us. But we're still uh-huh. pushing buttons. But we're already we're already making use of tools that can do things that we can't do. That's why we made the tools. A hammer is better than a fist. But that doesn't mean that we humans are useless. And I, I just think that, you know, you make even better and better tools. I don't think that that's necessarily going to mean that humans are useless. I think there's a language issue there, though, because um, part of, part of there, there seems to be some equivocation, or, or at least what I perceive as unintended equivocation, because machine intelligence once it has the eye of me, once it once it has its own mental model, its its own identity, it will no longer perceive itself as a tool. And a, a backhoe or a trackhoe or a, or a bulldozer or uh, you know all of those kinds of tools aren't sentient. And so at some point, you're actually talking about what does it mean for us to be tools for each other? What does it mean for our uh, self-aware tools to join our own society. And and so I think there's a, a confusion about saying that our tools are smarter than us versus our tools are self-aware and at least as smart as we are. Yeah, I think that's accurate. Um, the, the thing that I'm sort of focused on, though, is say that you want to be a songwriter. Well, the computers are already making better songs than humans do. I mean, sure, there's humans still have a lot of input into those, but I mean, there's a reason that all the top 40 songs all sound just the same. Mm. Um, it's because a lot of them are being done by computers these days. Um, I mean, people are writing them, but you know, they're being modified and um, and being you know sequenced and optimized, adjusted, and, right? right. Well, when um, when a computer can start actually doing the human parts of that job and doing it better than the humans can do, then you're going to have two problems. One is going to be economic problem because all the people are going to be buying the better the better songs and not necessarily the human written songs. And then you're going to have just the frustration that comes from that because you've got these great human artists who can't really get anywhere with their craft because the computers are doing it better than they can. And that that kind of, I mean, yes, it would be great if we could get to the place where we just do things because we love to do it, but, I mean, there's more to motivation than that. And, right. you know, we have our own egos that we have to, that help motivate us. And if that the reasons for being motivated just start disappearing then why do it? I mean, my job is programming computers. That's not gonna. That's not gonna be a job in ten years. Right, but you're you're assuming that uh, a sentient uh, computer would even want to do the things that humans do. Uh, so that's they would good be point. motivated in the same way. I don't. I don't think that computers, so, for instance, will want to do art. <laughs> I don't think not? they will want to write songs. Well, because they're computers. And so, I mean, if they've got their own, their own 
what it is to be them, their but, own consciousness. Right. Why wouldn't they? But we don't. We don't. I mean, we like this stuff because we have a central nervous system, and we have, you know, certain emotional structures and cultural uh, structures. In a computer, it might have an entirely different type of thing it wants to do, and I suspect there's an entire domain that computers just wouldn't give a damn about. Well, it might be, and it's, but it, it's, it's often left out in this discussion. One of the things I find most frustrating is that when we think about the future where there's, uh, you know, aliens or artificial intelligence or whatever, and so now the computer has a, a mind of its own, we, we act as if that means that all of the computers, all of the transitional states that led to that thing now no longer exist. And so, you know, now we're in competition with this tool that became, uh, you know, became self-aware. And, and that's, that's not, I think, uh, could be wrong, but I, I don't think that's actually the future that will occur. I think, you know, we're still going to have hammers and screwdrivers and uh, cordless drills or, or whatever. And we're still going to have phones that aren't self-aware. And, and, and so I don't understand all of the dismay. Well, and I'm not trying to promote dismay, and I agree. Oh, I didn't think you were. I, I mean, that's why we have the brain, the uh, brain-machine interfaces, is because right. we, so that we can use those unintelligent tools to keep right. up with the intelligent ones. Right. That was not an accusation. This is this is one of those things that I just I see um, I see big thinkers who uh, worry about the inflection point at some point in the uh, of the future. They worry about that uh, that anomaly where. Um, uh, you know, things sort of collapse. We hit one of those great filters, right? Like, like maybe we have a, a war with the machines, like the book Rub Apocalypse. And I am, I am not, I am not so worried about that singularity out there. Uh, I'm as, not, as I'm not either, and I, I probably should be because I've read as many of those books. Obviously, Darren has read. Uh, too many of those books. Um, I don't think the There's brain... There's no such thing as reading too many of those nope. books. I, nope. I did say in fact, if artificial nerds. intelligence does anything, it should record memories into right. my head. So here's, here's the thing, though. <laughs> I, don't, I don't see how the brain interface would help us keep up. Um, all it would do is allow us to interface with the computers, and at some point, since the computers are better than us anyway, we would just be redundant. So I don't, I don't actually see how that would benefit us. Well, and I think what's missing in this conversation is timeline. Uh, mm -hmm. Our artificial intelligence, like what we're talking about, where it actually has feelings and motivations and that kind of thing, that's still a long ways away. But what we do have weeks, is... Weeks, at least. <laughs> at least weeks. <laughs> at least, hours. At least. You know. <laughs> Minutes, for sure. Right. <laughs> um, but I think... Um, I don't know. We've already got unthinking machines that can do a doctor's job better than they can as far as diagnosis goes. Um, we've already got unthinking machines that, um, that once we get enough of them on the road, are going to be uh, driving a lot better than we can. Um, so I think that, I mean, besides just the fact that it'd be really cool to be able to control my smartphone without actually getting pulling it out of my pocket. Um, I think we need to have that, the interface, because whatever the processing power of the computer is, um, whatever it is, having that added to our own processing capabilities is always only going to be a good thing. And, and then there's the practical 
part of that in that if some of our political um, neighbors that we don't particularly like get that technology first, then we are forever going to be at a disadvantage. I don't think we're dismissing another really important aspect of, well, the Christian's not going to like this. Um, I, I happen to think that this is a uh, fact, and we ask uh, we ask about theory in, the, in this regard all the time, but um, let's say that um, 20 years from now, we have artificial intelligence, and David, as you said, it is better than us. Um, that is that is a snapshot of a moment in time. And part of the the conceit of this particular episode is pondering what it means to be transhuman. And one of the necessary acceptances in the story of, of transhumanism, as Darren pointed out rightly at the very beginning, is guided evolution. And it very much seems to me that evolution, if it means anything, and, and, I'll, and I'll happily give some examples that we already have of guided evolution, but if it means anything, then what we will have is another snapshot at some potential future where we, where we catch up in some way, in some important way. And, and then maybe the machines race ahead or maybe we race ahead. But I'm, I'm, not, I'm not concerned about that one inflection point unless it can be demonstrated that one inflection point is the great filter that wipes us out. I don't, I don't know why we're interested in creating life forms anyway. I don't want, um, I don't want a, a computer that is alive uh, and that thinks in that way and that feels and that is motivated. I, I want a tool. And I, I think that once you cross over that line and, and you, your tool becomes alive then you need another tool because the best, the best thing that you will ever be able to do when it becomes alive is ask its permission. You know, maybe, maybe it will help you. Maybe it won't help you. Maybe it will demand pay. That's not what we want. We want things that we can use and we can't use sentient machines. Uh, And so I don't, I don't even want to advance far enough to create artificial intelligence in that sense. Uh, I so disagree. I, I just I want it limited to the point that it's a tool and not a being. Well, unfortunately, other people do want to create that, so they are. But don't we use each other already? So, for instance, um, David and I talked about transhumanism, and Darren, you and I have talked about transhumanism. Now, all three of us are talking about transhumanism. We're using each other. <laughs> to to have this show but it's a, right? it's a consensual relationship because we have no life and we've read too much sci-fi <laughs> yes i i have uh, i have i have well i've read a lot of sci-fi i've not read too much i'll let you know when i'm when i've read too much but i am i am again undismayed so so maybe i'm maybe you just accuse me of being too pollyanna about this subject right okay fine i'm too pollyanna about the subject but but it doesn't bother me to have to cooperate with someone that betters my life. Yeah, 
And I'm sort of I'm the exact same way. Um, I want to be able to program a uh, a website in just a couple seconds because I've got the yep. processing power to be able to do that. You know, I want to be able to access my phone without taking it out of my pocket, or better yet, just have it implanted in my head with uh, occasional upgrades for hardware. I want to do the surgery. But you're, I want to do the surgery. You're describing tools, though. You're describing tools in that life forms. My, my microphone helps us to be able to have this conversation. But the last thing I want is my microphone to have an opinion. Uh, once, once that happens, <laughs> you know. But you're creating an artificial problem. divide, though. Right. But like, I, like I said this a few minutes ago, the, the fact that there's a machine intelligence out there doesn't mean that you'll no longer have your microphone. Yeah. Okay. Um, so tra- let me let me just let me just ask a question uh, related to transhumanism and the the discussion we kind of plan to have. You know, this happens when you when you get together and have this discussion. That's like plans of mice in the end. Exactly yeah. like the discussion that Andrew and I had. It uh, it wandered so far off. Um, is how far is too far? Uh, so when we were talking about human guidance of evolution uh we have to enter the conversation of eugenics Mm. uh is is eugenics Mm. too far um how far is too far depends on how you implement it i suppose um we're sort of in, in a interesting place in humanity because in the past uh people's ability to do eugenics has been sort of a horrible type of eugenics, you know. Mm-hmm. But in the going in the future, where we can actually change uh, uh, change your uh, genetics directly without all the crappy parts of the uh, of the eugenics in the past, I think it's actually a good thing. I mean, if I could have been signed up for extra physical um, capabilities and more intelligence when I was a baby. Yes, please. You know? Um, and you would do that through genetic manipulation directly. And then especially if we figure out how to, you know, not only genetically manipulate that on like the level of the egg and the sperm, but also on the level of our core um, biology that's means that it'll be an inherited trait that's passed down from generation to generation, then I don't see why not. Okay, but we're all familiar with computer programming enough to know that uh, you need those uh, pre-beta sessions to get to a shipping product. And then once you get to a shipping product, you need uh, constant support and updating and so forth. So I understand you, you're trying to make a distinction between the bad eugenics of the past and the good eugenics of the future, but you need that bad eugenics to get to the good eugenics. Uh, and so you have to say, you have to decide whether eugenics is in fact a good thing. And then you have to be willing to crack a few eggs uh, to make an omelet. You're not going to come out with the perfect eugenics if we just do computer modeling for the next 200 years and then, bam, we've got it. I think it depends on – because I think eugenics is not good or bad inherently by itself. It's just a tool. I think it's how you implement it that turns it either good or bad. I mean, it's like the Mm – 
fire or you know a gun or anything else i mean yes you can turn it to horrible purposes but you can also use a gun to uh, feed yourself and your family if you need to so um or defend yourself and i think eugenics is sort of the same way it's just a a tool and how we implement implement that tool is whether it becomes good or bad and you are correct i mean we are going to have to do a lot of um we're going to have to learn a lot more before we can do it reliably and um and in a non-harmful manner but that doesn't mean that eugenics as a whole is necessarily bad on sort of a on sort of a similar note um so a few months ago i think probably both of you both of you saw this uh this article and so going to turn to what is uh, potentially uh, a negative consequence of of transhumanism and just see what you guys think uh, there were, there was a a chinese scientist he was working on a genetic modification that caused uh two twins two little girls as I recall to be immune to the hiv virus and uh, and the little girls were born and uh and, and as it turns out it, it appears that the genetic modification worked out um, but there was a, a follow-on effect, and I, I don't remember what the follow-on effect was. One of you might. Um, but there is a follow-on effect that's negative consequences for these two little girls. And this guy got in a lot of trouble in the international scientific community. And in fact, um, the Chinese government, through their legal process, um, just sent this guy to prison for a little while. Uh, I don't remember what the term was, and one of you might remember that as well. But when we think about transhumanism, um, one of the things that we are talking about is the ability to modify our own DNA, right, and uh, to, to have better eyesight, or to have better hearing, or to be able to, to jump higher, or run faster, or whatever. And, and it is possible that we are going to break eggs, uh, you know, in this process. And in fact, that's happening right now. There's a, there's a, a case in point in, in, our, in, our, very, uh, in our very modern news. And and so, what should we do? How should this guy have been treated, et cetera? Well, I think right now it's too early to be playing around with the genetics uh, on the at the egg level, just because um, yes, we know we know quite a bit about how the DNA works and how it's what it propagates personality traits that are sort of um, called for, physical traits that are. Um, implemented because of it um but we don't really understand all the interactions yet and i think until we have a firmer grasp of all the interactions we probably shouldn't be playing around with it and we can and we can discover those interactions without actually doing the um actually doing it on a live person so i think until we have a better grasp of that we should um wait that's my opinion on that anyways. So let's, I mean, dig a little deeper then. Is there anything sacred about, uh, and when I say sacred, I don't necessarily mean in a religious sense. Um, so try to translate to that to something secular. Um, Follow your language for me. So is there anything sacred about the way we were going to be? So uh, a, a man and woman... Uh, you know, birds and bees, um, and a, a child is produced, and that that life is that life. That human is what it will be. 
so there is a there is a path for that human to uh, be born and grow up and have certain characteristics, uh, and that is set fairly early on in the process. And then we come along and say, but no, I don't want that human to be like that. I want that human to be like this. Uh, I think I think that idea makes a lot of people, and not just Christians, uncomfortable uh, because that life was going to be a certain way. And then we came along and decided it should be another way. And even if technology allows us to do that uh, very accurately, uh, I, I just want to explore the question of should we? I mean, is is there a point where the human is what it is and we should leave it? I don't think so. Um, humans are a result of, you know, 3.8 billion years of natural selection and evolution. Um, there's no, I mean, we came into these forms because that's the most effective way to for our species to continue on as a whole. But we're, I mean, we're entering a new age, an age that we're creating. Um, we're going to have, at some point, uh, prosthetics are going to be so good that sports stars and soldiers are going to uh, be having their arms and legs removed on purpose so that they can get these prosthetics because that's going to give them an advantage. And um, and hell, by that point, we might even be able to good enough at 3D printing that we could take off the prosthetics and put on a biological arm as well. Who knows? But um, I don't think that this form that we currently have is necessarily uh, sacred in any meaningful way. Um, we we like our forms because that's what we grew up with, and that's what we are um, used to. Um, but I'm guessing your friend without the arms and the legs would have been really happy if we could have gone in and um, fixed that before she was born. Well, but, I mean, yeah. you know, we have that question: what is it? What do you? What do you mean by fix? You know, because at some point, uh, people with dark skin have a baby, and someone decides, you know what? We don't want dark-skinned uh, children. We can change that. We have the ability, so we want everyone to have light skin. Um, we want everyone to have. Oh, that's going to be a big nose. We want to. We want to change that nose so that everyone has a very attractive nose. Uh, that hair, that nappy hair. No, that's not. That's not good. We want. We want children with straight hair. You'll be able to change all of that. The question isn't whether you would be able to, but should you? And who? I mean, who gets to make those decisions? The parents. Yeah. The. Parents right now, they are the ones that uh, make all the current decisions for the child. So legally, that would be the um, the straightforward. Once we get to a certain point where people can modify their bodies after they're born, it may change to be where the um, you have to be 18 in order to get any body modifications. Okay, so one, right. one last question. I'll, I'll throw it back to the people who are actually on this show. Uh, so what if you had a parent, uh, let's say that they were... Uh, blind parents. Um, and You're being set up, Darren. Yeah, you are. Oh, I know. And, uh, and they, <laughs> it's obvious. And they wanted a blind child, uh, not a sighted child. And so they uh, ordered the DNA so that the child would be blind. Would that be okay, too? 
Well, I guess it would be as okay as if you asked a doctor to go in and cut off one of your baby's uh, arms before they um, were born. We would say that that's monstrous, wouldn't we? I would hope so. So Why? So, (laughs) Because because there's a difference between improving a person's well-being and then just... Improving by whose standard? By biology standard. Ah, but a minute ago it was the parent's standard. And I can tell no. you that a lot of blind parents they're not mutually exclusive. want to have blind yeah. children. They're, so. they're not mutually exclusive, and it is and and it is not as if um, so. We might not solve every possible question that can be asked, but that is not a reason to continue. So let me let me take this out of the realm of uh, of skin tone and and hair texture, and point out that. Today, more infants survive because of C-section than survived in the past. That tool use has had a knock-on effect. Here's the knock-on effect. The average size of infant heads today is larger than the average size of infant heads prior to C-section. So that's our, that's our tool use. We are guiding our own evolution now. So... In the in the way that you're asking the question, who gets to make the decision? Um, you you should reasonably ask them what tools can we use, and and so if you're asking what tools can we use, then we should rewind to the days of, uh, prior to C-section. Should we be saving those children? Is there something special about form? Um, what if some parents uh, do want nappy hair and and dark skin tone? The the question surely is about choice for the parents in the same way that it's about choice for the woman. And and what I think I hear as a subtext is, um, is racism, which I absolutely agree is abhorrent. Uh, we've been friends 38 years. I, I think you know me well enough uh, by now. And so is it possible to, to do something horrible with our tools Yes, but surely the answer to the question you're asking is is about free and informed consent and not about misuse of the tools. Because you're asking about misuse of the tools. That's a different conversation. Yeah, I mean, anytime we have, I, I, just to reiterate or to pile on, I guess, whenever we have new tools, I mean, how many people complained about the automobile? You know, um, you know that it's not natural, and that you know people should be using their horses instead. Mm. Um, you know, heart surgery is another example. C-section. You know, these are just tools, um, and then how we use the tools is, I mean, it's a horrible answer, but it's the only one we have, and how we use our tools is dictated by society. You know, it's just one of those things that we have to live with, um, because that's that shapes how we view things. Um, and if racism somehow gains hold um, and becomes the predominant predominant thing, then that's going to be uh, put into the law, and you are going to have um, you know either everyone wanting to have black children or everyone wanting to have white children or Asian children or however that works. Um, and we'll have to fight that. Damn. But it, it's not like we're, it's not like if we don't have those tools, 
the fight is all of a sudden going away because we're fighting we're fighting that awful fight today more than we were fighting it six years ago and our progress is going to continue and and hopefully um uh our better angels uh Help me out, guys. Who wrote it? Uh, he's a Steven, uh, Pinker. Steven Pinker. Thank you. Man, that was a vicious blank, dude. Uh, <laughs> vicious blank. I mean, hopefully, hopefully Pinker's right, right? And and our better natures are prevailing. I don't I don't know if he's right, and there's a you know there's a case to be made both ways. Um, but if we are if we are going to acknowledge that our worst natures are most likely to to win then we can stop podcasting about transhumanism. We can stop podcasting about everything. Okay, but I, I, I just want to, you know, for the sake of the Christian or for the sake of the uh, person who's, who's on the other side of this issue, uh, just to make that appeal, that maybe the question ought to be, does, does a human child have a right to be born human? Um, mm. because, you know, a parent may want their child to be born with wheels and, and maybe we can, maybe we can do that one day. We can have a born with wheels instead of feet, <laughs> but this is a, this is a child that has been made and you can say, well, they don't have any, uh, sentience, uh, when they're embryos or whatever. But I, I, I think the question is worth raising, um, that, everyone has a right we say that everyone has a right to life so i don't think it's a, a big reach to say everyone has a right to a certain kind of life a certain kind of human life and and then let them make their modifications after the fact well and that may be the way it ends up going um but uh, some of what you're touching on is actually uh, the post-human world where um when you're talking about humans being made as a wheels well if you've got two people two parents one has wheels and the others has blue fur and wings i mean what exactly is the baby supposed to look like when it's born the world is sort of set up uh, so so when we make cars just as a for instance um cars have a have a range of seat sizes and and we we construct them based on the average human being. So, right, we, we take a bunch of people from various cultures, and we measure the, the, the sort of the close to the tallest person and close to the shortest person, and, and we find a seat size that fits that form as nearly as possible. When we think about using genetic modification for children, creating designer children, well, it might in some sense be child abuse to you know, create a genetic modification for a child that, uh, you know, at birth has a 12-foot wingspan, right? He's, he's got wings, he's got feathers, he's got, all, well, it would, it would probably be child abuse because uh, probably the human can't fly either, no hollow bones, etc. cetera. Uh, so, you know, it'd probably be child abuse to attach 12-foot wingspan, six-foot wings on either side. To a, to a child because it's a world not made for that child, right? Um, but maybe the real answer is what one of you, sorry, I don't remember which one of you, one of you said maybe we shouldn't be tampering with this until the individual can make the decision. You may have both echoed. 
that that sentiment. But I can say this to that. I was born with retinitis pigmentosa. And I do live in a world that was made for people with two eyes with with uh, roughly 20-20 vision. And all that means is what you see at 20 feet is what the average other person sees at 20 feet. And if my parents could have chosen a better design, one where I didn't have this particular affliction, I would not begrudge them that decision. Well, maybe, but if they had chosen a better design, we wouldn't have you. It, it would be someone else. I disagree. Um, I, I disagree entirely. I don't. I don't think that giving me better vision would. Okay. Wait, okay. So I see. I, I am. I am in agreement with half of what you say, and I'm in. I'm in disagreement uh, halfway as well. Because I make a better me when I exercise. When I exercise, I can run further over time or faster, etc. And those things don't disturb my mental model. And today, I have all sorts of aids around me that give me some vague approximation of normal vision, right? I, I can do things that I couldn't do when I was a kid. And the increase in the ability to do those things has not disturbed my mental model. I'm still me. And I am, I am absolutely not convinced in any way whatsoever that giving me better vision would have made a not me. Well, okay, maybe. Uh, but, I mean, this is all very speculative. But um, let's say that, uh, let's take it from blindness and say that you uh, were going to have Down syndrome. Uh, and they caught that. Uh, mm -hmm. There is a certain you that there would have been. You're trying to hit me with the Dawkins dilemma. Had that, I, I had that reality <laughs> come about, that there would have been a you but it wouldn't be the you that I'm talking to right now. And so maybe they Most correct that. Not. Yeah, so they correct that in the womb, and you're a different person. You're, now you're you. I would, I would suggest that it's not just Down syndrome. I think that when you start tinkering with um, things like that, you, you do kind of create a different person who is off on a very different path. And I don't think that if they had created your vision, you know, we would be talking to the same person with better vision. Well, and I completely agree with what you're saying there. The problem is, is that is that necessarily a bad thing? Well, so I don't, I don't know uh, that. No, I don't think I do agree. So when you say different me, sure. You may not be, I, I may not be participating in this podcast under those circumstances. I might, uh, you know, I might have joined the military since I was from the Southeast, and that's pretty uh, common thing for, for uh, you know, completely well-bodied males to do, so I might be off in the military somewhere. Or uh, I might have chosen to study physics, which is something uh, that I would love to have been able to study um, uh, more completely, or chemistry, which I, which I also... Uh, found out early on that just <laughs> wasn't going to be something that I could do with any uh, with any particular acumen. So so yes, you might not be talking to me, but that is that is an entirely separate issue from whether the 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 egg that produced me still has a mental model of me. Those issues are entirely removed from each other. They don't have anything to do with each other. 
So before we start to wrap up, uh, believe it or not, the time is getting away. Um, look, look down the list. Uh, Andrew, I did send you a list a long time ago. Um, I, did, I actually had the first one. I was um, okay. Yes, look, <laughs> but I did get it. Thank you. Look Thank down you for the list and each of you uh, maybe grab one item that we haven't touched on um, before we before we wrap up. Um, I'll I'll do the same. I'm going to start with um, with you, Darren, since you have thought about this uh, more deeply and better. I'm sorry, I missed part of that. What was because you were cutting out? Oh, what was sorry. I was saying just look down that list and see if there's anything that we haven't uh, touched on um, as as we start to get ready to wrap up this conversation. Um, uh, and if there's something that you wanted to cover that's not on the list, go ahead and go ahead and pull that out, and we'll we'll each go around with one one piece of this. Um, so I'm starting with you. Um, well, I think the most interesting part is for me on the list that you sent is where we are in regards to making it a reality. Mm-hmm. Um, because a lot of what we've been talking about has been pure speculation uh, based off of sort of what we can do right now. And a lot of this is going to be many, many, many years in the future. Um, for example, the um, the technological singularity that uh, most transhumanists are really excited for when um, uh, computers actually begin uh, um, become smarter and more capable than humans um, or sometimes it's defined as when human and uh, machines sort of merge together um, to create our own sort of hybrid um, is generally um, expected to be around 2045 between 2035 and 2045 depending on which futurist you're talking with but a lot of this um, like the medical stuff uh, for longevity uh uh, uh, making reliable changes to the body, n- none of that's going to happen before then. Um, we've got, um, just for the longevity part, we've got far too many pieces in our, the biological body that sort of fit together. And when you push on one side, another side sort of bows out and um, messes up the whole equation. So I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be probably quite a while before a lot of this happens. I think the mechanical transhumanism is going to happen first because it's already happening, where we're um, replacing body parts with machines. I think that's going to be fairly, fairly popular for a while, and then it'll hap- Then we'll start getting into the sort of the biological uh, modifications where we're doing designer babies and possibly changing what are the what color our hair grows in as or color of our eyes or you know all that good stuff um and then i think the final stage is going to be when we actually get a good handle of uh, nanotechnology which we can already move atoms around um at the moment it just requires a fairly large machine and the accuracy um is hit or miss um, a lot of the times, but I think I think we will probably see all of this before the end of the century. So, 
Sorry. Andrew? So where are we? Uh, I read something uh, uh, over at one of the Institute of Physics sites uh, recently about the ability to manipulate single electrons. Uh, again, as Starren said, <laughs> using gargantuan machinery. So surprising how big the machinery uh, is that is required to uh, deal with very small things. Um, but we, we are getting increasingly good at, uh, at the incredibly small. One of the, one of the technologies that we don't have that I'd like to see to take the, the question sort of in a different direction. Um, we, we are good at things like a, a spinal cord repair now. Well, maybe not good at. We are uh, getting better at things like spinal cord injury. Here's the thing we can't do. We can't replace a human eye, even though we, we have some success with, replace, uh, with repairing nerves. And, and the reason is that the, the optic nerve is an incredibly tight, very fine bundle of nerves. Uh, and it's right back there behind the eye, connected directly to the brain. And and it's, you know, so you wonder, where's the technology that will give us actual eye transplants, not just cornea transplants, right? Um, sorry, go ahead, Darren. I heard the heard you. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say they actually are uh, uh, implanting um, cameras into the eye. I mean, it's not like yep. an eye transplant, but it's... Right, it's a chip on top of the retina. If I right. if I remember the the current state of the art, I might be wrong. You may better. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, and I, I tried one of those. A chip on the retina. Yeah, I'd, I'd give it a try. Oh, I think yeah, there's a too. I think there's a company called Second Sight that um, that deals with that. Uh, see, now I'm going to have to look it up because the last time I saw this was admittedly like 15 years ago. The resolution was um was was pretty poor um so the retina is really good at, at high resolution imaging right uh, but so in regard to where we are with with technology there there are some things that we really can't do right now and maybe they're just right around the corner um and and darren you you are probably right some of the some of the more medium term speculative things that we talked about in this podcast 2035, 2045, that's probably right. Um, when are we going to be able to attach uh, uh, wings to children? <laughs> that's uh, much more speculative. And, I, and I'm and i not even sure we're close. Right? Um, and one of the things we didn't really get around to is not only what it would mean to to be ethical in these things, but what we should do today to create uh, an ethical framework around some of the, you know, how do we cooperate as a world to make sure that we are ethical about these things? So where are we in the technology? I think Darren's probably right. Um, where are we in regard to human rights issues in, in regard to technology progress? I think we're pretty far behind. Um, and... We should think about both of those issues. Okay. Um, Sorry, so and I'll we, ramble for another five minutes. Just no, for the no, no, it's fine. There, there, are a lot of, there are a lot of little pieces of this conversation that are small bits but interesting. So we may not be able to manipulate uh, at the genetic level 
right now. But there are lots of things that we could do uh, kind of grossly on the body today if we wanted to. So, for instance, I suspect it would not be that difficult of a surgery to insert horns uh, on a person if what they wanted was demon horns. I bet I bet you could do that. Yeah, um, there's a guy with cat whiskers right now. Right, yeah. that's that's yeah. not that's that's um, that's something doable. I suspect. Uh, let me go further. That we could come up with some kind of um, exoskeleton that we could embed and become an endoskeleton and, and create something like Wolverine's uh, adamantium. Yeah. yeah. Now, we don't have the material, and uh, I, I think it would hurt like hell if you actually tried to use it, but I suspect we could do uh, that sort of thing if we wanted to. I mean, you can... Uh, what else can you do with the human body? We could probably... I mean, we can augment uh, breasts... Uh, and we could probably artificially augment muscle if we wanted to. I don't. I don't know that if uh, that anyone's doing that kind of research, but I, I suspect all kinds of augments are possible. Just on, teetering on the edge, aren't you? I'm, I don't <laughs> mind going right off the edge um, because this is all a part of transhumanism. It's all a part of a person saying, you know, um, I would like to try something else, and I'm I'm not that concerned about. Uh, my current form right now. And I think that the Christian, if I can bring in a little bit of theology, has has some difficulty with this because this is the body that God made us. In fact, if I can, if I can go back one more step with my Christian hat still on, God uh, made humans. And the Bible is a story about uh, God in relationship with humans. And the salvation story is that God will save humans. But if we become something other than human, transhuman, are we any more a part of that story? Uh, Didn't ask for salvation then, don't want it now. Yeah, well, I think for the Christian, it's um, one of those things where transhumanism probably doesn't even really affect them anyway anyway because i mean they've got this idea that they're going to be living forever anyways and that this is just sort of a stopover so i mean sure uh, you know a phone in the arm might be cool but i don't think that they're going to be worrying too much about the longevity aspects of the of transhumanism right, right but and I, they I think, think they're getting the perfect form i, right, I mean i think, think they're going to be transhuman right but i think i think you're misunderstanding the the theological concern so i i understand that neither of the two of you have a theological concern here but i'm just trying to acknowledge the other half of the audience uh that would that would want to say look uh even if god even if i was born with a perfect body uh, an imperfect body that's the body I would want to be born with, because that's the one that God gave me. And if I and if you go in and tinker with that body, then it's not the one that God gave me. And if you tinker with me enough so that I am not human anymore, uh, then you know, am I then written out of the story? Um, and I, I think I think that is a concern for a lot of the population. And you're going to have to be able to address this. Uh, if if you want legislators uh in in the rest of the world to come along so it's it's the world is not necessarily run by nerds like us and so you have to consider those other concerns 
Well, didn't God sort of create the universe knowing that this was going to happen? Everything that we do, it's going to happen. So didn't he sort of implicitly okay it because he knew it was going to happen before he created the universe? Right. And I know more no. Uh, First of all, I don't accept there's uh, none of the gods that have been offered to me thus far. Uh, I find convincing. So, but just accepting uh, David, I'll borrow that Christian hat for a moment um, because I lost mine somewhere along the way. So, so uh, you know, the thing about the crown the of thorns is it hurts just as bad coming off as it does going on. Yeah, no, I, I hear the I hear the um, weeping and gnashing of teeth. Um, so, so, with with Christian hat firmly in place. Um, I no more know what God wants for my human form than I know what He wants me to do tomorrow. And and so, you know, it, it you can almost take the position and, and quite rationally, if you if you think there is a God, anything that we can do that that, that God allows to uh, to to happen is is something that He ordains, even if He doesn't like it. And so, if there's some point at which the human form transitions past the human soul, um, you know, then surely God's going to stomp it out. And if he doesn't, if God allows transhumans without souls, well, that's his decision. But But in any case, it's not something I can affect even if I were a Christian. So I want to close this with um, one question that I had in my back pocket. I was just curious if it would come up naturally. Uh, Take as much time as you like uh, with it. Have as much fun as you like with it. Uh, I will go first just to give you guys a a chance to think about it. The question is, uh, what transhumanist modification would you want right now if you could get it uh it is not limited to our current technology i'm just curious to know what what change to your body would you would you apply uh if you could apply so i'm i'm going first the fact of the matter is i've been thinking about this question since we started the show and i still don't have an answer i think as as much as I say, I would uh, I would sign up for the Borg assimilation uh, right away. The, the fact is, my consciousness is in this body that I'm in right now, and I am so used to this body. I don't think I want another body, and this body is racked with pain uh, almost all the time. Uh, this there's so much wrong with this body. I can't begin to tell you, but I, I mean, I'm even hesitant to have my knees replaced because I don't want chunks of metal in my body because I wouldn't feel like my body anymore. Um, I've got five pins uh, right now holding my knees together, five pieces of titanium. And you can, you know, you can feel my knees, you can feel them, you can feel the heads of them. Um, they're there. Um, it, it feels inhuman to me. I hate it. Um, you know, my, my eyes don't work well. Would I want robot eyes that worked perfectly? I, I don't know. Um, you know, my, my consciousness, once again, my self-image is 
in the body that I'm in, for better or worse. Mm. So I am not entirely sure I would want uh, some other body or augmentation. And that's that's kind of what's been running through my the back of my mind as we had this conversation. That said, in the spirit of the question, uh, I think I will provide an answer. Uh, I think I would go with replacing my legs for um, strong... Uh, legs that can run, um, that can, you know, maybe wear seven league boots. Uh, deep reference, you sci-fi geeks. Um, that um, you know can can climb stairs or, or roll. You know, if if necessary, uh, mobility is is a big deal for me, and I don't mind risking my legs. So if something goes wrong with the transfer. I'll, I'll sit in the wheelchair and I'll still have access to my computer. Um, I, I, so I'm not experimenting with my arms. Uh, my hands are my hands. <laughs> leave, leave those be. But I think I would go for um, Borg legs uh, that, could, that could increase my mobility. Okay, who are you handing it to next? Whoever is man enough to take it <laughs> one mic two people whoever comes out alive is my partner okay Andrew, i have a, a another have, deep cut people <laughs> I, i'm going to give it to you just so i don't have to be his partner <laughs> <laughs> i know it's just sort of a dubious distinction isn't it <laughs> This, this used to be my show. I remember I used to have a show like this, and I did not know what happened to me. I don't know why I'm tied up in this chair. I don't know. I don't know how any of this happened. This is what happens when the machines win. You say this is. You just, sorry, Darren. Go ahead. Yeah, the um, I think I think for me it would be the um, sort of on the border between transhumanism and posthumanism. Um, because uh, for me, it would be well. I mean, there's this idea that you know any part of your body you can go ahead and uh, improve. You know, like your eyes, you can um, replace them so that they can view the entire electromagnetic spectrum rather than just a tiny portion that we can see. Legs are stronger, arms are stronger. You know, um, organs are better. You know, bulletproof skin, that kind of thing, um, by adding graphene. And I, th- but I think the most interesting part for me is replacing the um, biological neurons with um, silicon neurons, because what that allows you to do is to get rid of all all the dementia, um, mm-hmm. uh, Alzheimer's, all of that goes away, um, and then it also allows you to expand your intellect in outside of your body, so that you can. It's like you know when we when we've got our lizard brains that uh, that are at the core of our brain structure, and then we've got sort of the mammalian brain that sort of wraps around that, and then we've got our you know the human brains which has the cortex around uh, around that, and then this seems to me like the next step would be to wrap around a silicon um, part of our brains around that, so that we can you know 
contemplate the universe at a much higher speed, create our own virtual realities if we want, um, you know, uh, survive space travel um, a lot easier um, because we don't have to worry about the um, the blood and uh, fragile biology. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just allows us to open our minds and um, contemplate the universe in a much different way, which I think that's where I'd go. Uh, I like that. Um, okay, so for the uh, possibly the first time on the show, um, I'll introduce a, a little bit of, of sentiment into the, uh, into the mix. Um, were, I to, were I able to take David's question? And uh, not have it for myself, but pass it along. Uh, I would do the following with the understanding that I think Darren is right. I think all of the changes that we've talked about on this show uh, are likely at some point in the future. Well, I don't know about wings on humans, but, but I, think, I think the idea of a much longer life is coming. And were I able to grant this one thing not for myself, but beyond me. I would give my girlfriend and my daughter the gift of a very long, healthy life. Because as we live, we are learning to grant longer life. And could I give that gift away? I would grant them today a long and healthy life because we are learning to grant even longer healthy lives. And at some point, someone will get to be the first generation that lives as long as they want to. And when they feel they've had their full run, they can choose to go peacefully. And I would grant that gift to those two. Well, there you go, being all noble and shit. Yeah, I'm, uh, yeah. I'm going for my robot. That's what it means to be transhuman, yeah. brother. That's um, <laughs> I I want the mobility, thank you. So my my wife will have her lifespan, and she'll die, and I'll bury her, and I will walk away, roll away from the funeral with my new robot legs. Um, <laughs> so because <laughs> if I if I only got one pick. <laughs> Um, there you go go. it's sort of interesting because the transhumanists they're less interested in lifespan and more interested in health span yeah which is kind of funny quality of life long healthy life quality of life is so much more important to me than quantity of life because even if you're Methuselah and you live for a thousand years uh, on year uh, 1000 uh, the day before, it's going to feel like your life is ending too soon. I don't. I don't think that person is going to say, "Well, I've lived a good, ha- uh, healthy, happy life. I've got a lot of uh, vim and vigor in me, but I think I'm ready to die." No, you're not. Nobody's going to be ready to die. And so you can do it for 200 years. You can do it for a thousand years. But dead is dead. And so if we're going to do dead, I would rather have a happy short life than an uncertain long life that's why i said long and happy uh, long and healthy because a long life minus health um that's a hard place to be we all we all know it is we we do 
And if I had my robot legs, I would be happy. <laughs> Look, it, when you get robot legs, you just watch, dude. <laughs> I'm coming after them. I might not have a long, healthy life, but I'm coming for those legs. You just <laughs> so you know so much for noble sacrifice. You're not part of that equation, dude. I'm taking your legs. <laughs> Good luck. I'm not, look, when when the choice is fight or flight, I've got robot legs. I'm I'm fleeing. You're not catching me. That's, 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 that's the whole point of the robot legs, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, uh, we're gonna have to figure out some asymmetric warfare uh, in this thing. <laughs> Here's the thing: my my vision's terrible, and but I've lived with my vision all my life. You know, I can I can put on glasses, I can put on magnification. There there are things that you can do to overcome bad vision. Um, there there are a lot of things that you can do to overcome. You know, a lot of the problems that I have. You know, I've got hypertension. I can take medicine for that. You know, I've got type two diabetes. Um, the, the medication is so good uh, these days. People live long, happy lives with diabetes. I wouldn't fix any of that. Um, I would go beyond the human bounds and and mobility. I think it's probably because I'm low vision uh, and, and can't drive and have always been mobility limited. Uh, Andrew, I know that you know exactly what yeah. I'm talking about. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Mobility is one of those things that's it's a human rite of passage that people with low vision never get. So, you know, you get, uh, you get the tricycle and then you get the bicycle and you you got some freedom there. And then you get the car, you know, get to learn to drive the car at 16. And that's when you get some real freedom. We never got the car at 16. Um, we, we never did that. And so we're limited to, uh, friends picking us up. Uh, we're limited to whatever public transportation is there, and if you're in the South, there's practically none. Uh, you're, you're limited to where you can walk, um, you know, that sort of thing. And so I think that limitation has worked on my psyche uh, for a long time now. And so that's why I think the robot legs mean so much to me. Okay, $10. I, I will... I will. Apple Cash anyone ten dollars who comes up with the picture. David's David's avatar is is out there on the board. You just grab his head, uh, put it put it on a robot body, uh, put a semi in the frame, and have the caption, "Hey David, watch out for that truck." <laughs> it's absolutely it's a it's a great picture, right? You got you got this visually impaired guy, and he's got robot legs, and he can run, and he can run, and he can run. But not see the truck. <laughs> don't don't, so, be, don't be crapping on so, my parting, okay? I'm gonna I'm gonna enjoy okay. my robot legs as long as I live. <laughs> for, for, watch however out for the long truck, that man, is. <laughs> yeah, the first thing that popped in my head was uh, adding uh, a um, Tesla um, interface oh, no. so that uh, he could take off his legs and put on his Tesla car. So I thought you were going to refer to the um, to the Navy SEAL that was letting the Tesla drive for him, and he, he ended up running under the the semi. It was the cloudy day thing, and and the That's truck pulled out not, into the intersection. Funny. And not funny. too soon. Okay, it's too been soon. long enough. It just, it's not been long enough. People are still grieving. <laughs> hey, while while we're here, uh, and since we have 
pretty much wrapped our conversation. It dawns on me that we are in a in a moment in time right now that mm. is um, unique, and um, no no one alive has has been in a time like this. I'm referring to the coronavirus and um, the the things that we're doing to to fight it. I mean, we've read about such times, but. We have not been in such times. And it seems like uh, I've done a BSC uh, already uh, with the coronavirus uh, topic. But I I just thought maybe before we go, you know, we've got three fairly intelligent people, some of which have emotions. Um, uh, me. Um, and I, I just I just thought uh, that we might recognize uh, this moment of time Uh do you have anything to say uh, with that regard? Hmm. Yeah. Um, if you want to know the value of transhumanism, um, our fight against the coronavirus is one of the reasons that those values are important. Because if you leave those values trying to make better humans, using technology, particularly in this case, medical technology, to fight this virus. If, if you get rid of that ethic, what you have is a, is a global pandemic that potentially kills 3% of the population. And most of us can do that math, right? We, we are talking about the days of roll out, you're dead again. And, and maybe it wouldn't happen that way. But there is a reason that technology is important. You know, whether you like iPhones and iPads uh, or uh, Windows and Android, or you know, whether whether you think all of that kind of technology uh, is a problem for human beings, and we need to keep it out of the hands of kids, and we were you know, better off in the days when we uh, when we grew our own food and died from sickness of our teeth. Even if you think those were more noble days. If you want your kids to live, you need an ethic that incorporates the very best of our thinking against the hardest things our environment can throw at us. And that thought process, in part, is transhumanism. Darren, did you have any thoughts? I could not. I could not top that. No. Well, I can. Uh, actually, no, I can't. I can't. Um, but I do have thoughts and a microphone. Um, <laughs> the whole point of having a podcast, right? <laughs> so, a, a couple of things um, on, on transhumanism. Um, if if you're a Christian, and I'm always thinking about how the Christian thinks, because my my family's Christian. Um, and m- many of the people that I love very deeply are Christian. It's not something that I can separate from my thought processes. I would say that on the subject of transhumanism, for those who are, are afraid of that idea, uh, I understand your mindset. I-, I get where you're coming from. But I would ask you to consider uh, that the God that you worship put you in a universe uh, that wants to kill you. There, there's simply no place in this universe that you can be other than the speck of dust that you are 
own right now and still be alive unless you can on your own recreate some uh, bit of safe bubble so that you can survive. And on this speck of dust that we're on, 70% of this planet wants to kill you. Um, you can't, you can't live there. You know, you can, you can build crafts and go underwater for some of it, but you just, you can't live there. Uh, and of the dry land that we have, uh, a, a great part of it, uh, wants to kill you. You can't live there. Uh, it's too cold or it's too hot, uh, too arid, too something, um, altitudes, uh, too thin, uh, you know, too high. It wants to kill you. There's there are volcanoes uh, erupting, uh, and tornadoes, tsunamis, everywhere wants to kill you. Even the place where you are, uh, it, you know, this world produces enough overcrowding and people with mental illnesses, uh, and so stepping outside of your house is a dangerous thing. And then it produces things like the coronavirus uh, that want to kill you. There are people who are dead right now who did no other crime than to go to the mall and have a nice day. And they came in contact with someone with a coronavirus and now they're dead. This is the place that God prepared for you. It may be time to think about modifying your body so that you can live more peacefully on this speck of dirt and maybe even find a way to get the hell off of it. Because screw the guy who made you this way and put you in a place like this and call it paradise. Um, yeah, so transhumanism, at the end of the day, I'm for it. Uh, and it's something worth thinking about. Uh, as far as uh, the coronavirus in particular, uh, it's it's the kind of thing that makes us all feel very helpless uh, as we see our world kind of closing down around us, the sports closing, baseball, basketball. Uh, I never thought I'd see the day uh, that the Final Four just... They just walk away. Uh, they just walk away. One of the um, pictures that will remain in my mind, I think, that will symbolize this time for me, is uh, there was a basketball game. They were playing it. I think they were in the second quarter at some point, and they just called it. Okay, we got to go. Everybody's got to go. And they just emptied the stadium right there in the middle of the game, and the mascot's just sitting there on uh, one of the benches. He's the only one in the stadium at that point. Uh wondering what the hell just happened and he tested uh, positive that's what happened oh, sorry. i mean at, at some point <laughs> you you look around at what's going on and it and it just seems surreal and the things that we are that we are used to looking to 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 divert us aren't happening all of the conference you know we tech geeks you know gdc uh, WWDC, all of the conferences that we're looking forward to to give us, uh, you know, new toys, entertainment, and technology, shuttering their doors or having to do something very different. This is it makes us feel so helpless, and there's nothing that we can do. And so I am determined not to be helpless during this time. 
there's so much I can't do to to be useful. But I am a podcaster, if if Darren allows me to continue. And I and I have opinions and I have a microphone and I have a little bit of time. And so rather than curl up into my own ball of despair while the world falls down around me, I am going to do more podcasting. And I'm going to give you more diversions uh, and interesting things to think about. Why? Because it's the only thing I can do. It's all I can do. And I'm going to do that. And I encourage those who regularly podcast with me to join me uh, in, in creating even more content during this time. Uh, because podcasting is one of the few things that's <coughs> corona-proof. We're already locked in our houses. Uh, we just as well do something. And I, I hope to hear more interesting conversations with uh, Andrew and Darren. Uh, this has been extremely cathartic for me and uh, I thank everyone for coming along for the ride last words anyone before we go yes one one really really important thing so David always important uh, always enjoy podcasting with you we've been doing this uh, together in fits and starts for quite a while and uh, always appreciate the opportunity Darren when I uh, heard from David a few weeks ago that we were going to get to a, a podcast together. Uh, I should tell you that I have admired your writing uh, over on the boards uh, from the beginning. I think you're a super cool guy. And uh, we didn't swap a lot of email in the run up, but I was crazy excited about this. And, uh, and you're even cooler than I imagined. And that was already a tremendous amount. Thanks for, uh, thanks for sharing a mic with me. Yeah, I have absolutely no clue how to take uh, compliments gracefully. Um, so, I'm just gonna, to, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just going to nervously sort of change the subject and say, uh, David, you may have your podcast back. Oh, did you get a glimpse at the batteries? <laughs> oh, I was never intended to keep it. I was just going to play with it a little bit, tinker, you know. Did you um did you short the positive and negative together before you handed him the batteries back? I'm just curious. Batteries. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. I don't see any batteries. <laughs> Where we're going, yeah. Yeah. we won't need batteries. Mm. Yep. And you know, uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. And and with that, uh, folks, uh, don't worry. We'll get this pairing together again under some pretext. I've already promised more podcasts. I have no idea where they're coming from. But, uh, yeah, so we will I see. I do. You. Does anybody want to know? Oh. We will. Now, I am, I am making some assumptions uh, about where, when you will hear this podcast, ladies and gentlemen. But if my assumptions are correct, this podcast went in the feed on the weekend of the 27th, and that means that the following week is April 4th. Fourth, mm. and that's when we will have uh, Ord. Ord, what's his first name? Please, someone save me. Um, he was on Unbelievable um, a few weeks ago. Uh, he has <laughs> got me, man. O O R D. Come on. Um, 
I don't really listen to Unbelievable anymore. Yeah. So yeah, me too. You guys, I haven't listened so in a couple much, of months. So much. I hate you both so hard right now. The one time I needed a little bit of backup. Okay. Um, hey, I'm just the ideator. I don't do backup. God damn it. Anyway, you guys, if you know who who I'm talking about, he's the guy who believes that God loves cancer cells, and he does not uh, act in the world. Uh, to anybody, uh, you know, as, cra- up. as crazy as that hypothesis sounds, it actually makes a lot of sense, <laughs> given how our biology is set up. I've never ended a show this badly in my life. Um, <laughs> well, that's because I was running it. Yeah. So. God darn it! All right. Anyway, I uh, my computer. I'm, I'm trying to help you. I'm, I'm looking through the notes right it's, now. It's <laughs> fine. Now, now he probably won't want to come on the show when he <laughs> just blanked on his first name. You actually think he's listening? I mean, come on. Come on. The, for the first time, I hope not. <laughs> So, at any rate, it's going to be a fantastic um, show, um, and I'm looking forward to it. So, uh, until then, stay safe. Goodbye, everybody.